Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is intended solely for the purpose of personal growth and not as a replacement for professional psychological support. The views and opinions of the hosts and guests of this show are not meant to be taken as medical advice. It is very important to seek the help of a qualified medical practitioner when making any shifts to psychiatric medication you may be taking, or if you are experiencing extreme psychological distress. Great Mountain, a podcast where we share effective tips and practices for working with adult ADD, ADHD in a natural, effective way without the use of medications. Each episode, join me, your host, Batman Saram, along with the author of The Drummer in the Great Mountain, Michael Joseph Ferguson. Join Michael and myself in an interactive discussion of sharing our stories as we journey together in transforming what can be the gift of being what we call hunter types. This podcast is intended to be your audio companion to the book written by Michael, who joins me each episode where we both will strive to foster dialogue, give you our personal insights, and share both of our experiences on this similar path that we are all on. Our intention and hope is that along with the book, this podcast gives you an additional perspective as you listen to us delve deeper into each chapter of the book to give you even more tools to go along with what it is that you are reading. Visit us at drummerandthegreatmountain.com to purchase the book and look for more tools, tips, and updates, as well as giving us feedback on this podcast. Join our growing global community of creative types, entrepreneurs, and out-of-the-box thinkers on our shared journey. Welcome to the Drummer and the Great Mountain podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is your host, Michael Joseph Ferguson. Uh, my illustrious co-host, Baman Saram, is taking a much-needed vacation. So I'm manning the controls today. Um, today, we are exploring the topic, raising hunter-type children, what we didn't get, and what we can do differently this time. And we have, as uh, a guest on our podcast Tina Harlow of Guiding Bright. We had her on a few a few months ago. And um, yeah, we felt like we didn't go, we wanted to go a little deeper into this topic of, you know, taking what we've learned as hunter type adults uh, and also the big mistakes that we made and try to help the next generation maybe have a better shot. So welcome, Tina. Thanks for being on the show again. Thanks. I love your podcast, and I'm always thrilled to be here, so thanks. Oh, fantastic. Well, uh, big supporter of it, and I've really appreciated your support as, uh, as it's grown and evolved and expanded. Uh, so why don't we, uh, let's go into a little bit about, uh, just as a reminder of what you do and your organization, Guiding Bright, and, and just a little bit about your services and offerings that you provide in beautiful Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Thank you. Yep, I um, am a licensed clinical social worker, and my business is called Guiding Bright. 
I work with children who I call, I call them bright or, and I also work with kids who are highly sensitive. Um, some of the kids that I work with are identified as gifted through the school system, but many of them are not. Mm. Um, they all struggle in some way, something. Um, and interestingly enough, many of them are also hunter types. Um, and there's also some correlations between um, people who are bright and the hunter type characteristics. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go along. Um, so all of this ties in together. That's great. And then what do you think, just uh, just before we jump in here, um, I'm curious to hear how, as you've been growing your business, what has been the reaction to from parents as you introduce a different way of looking at ADHD? What's, what's been the typical reaction? It's been really positive. Um, and really for the kids, that's where I really see the positive impact. Um, they see themselves differently. It's in a much more positive light. I really focus on difference. I do not focus on disorder. I don't even talk about disorder. Um, and I just think it starts, I, I mean, it's just a, a much more positive way for anyone to be able to look at themselves. And um, it also puts it in, in a context that people can understand and especially that children can understand on um, why in the world would I be like this? Yeah, that's it. Well, this is a good place. This is a good starting point. So uh, I think we should start with, um, especially for new listeners tuning in, um, discuss, you know, even if you don't, if you just hear this term hunter type, like what is that? Um, and also just talk about, let's talk about reframing ADHD a bit. Um, and I, I'll start a little bit just to give people context. So um, the hunter farmer theory was developed by Tom Hartman, who wrote, um, uh, his first book was, uh, I always forget the name, Attention Deficit Do Disorder, A Different Perception. That, yeah, I always think perspective, but it's perception. Yeah. And basically, he put put through, put through out the, the, the theory that um, people who are ADD, ADHD are actually, we have the genetics of um, hunter-gatherers, which would that have stayed in the gene pool uh, and are with us today, and they in in many ways help us it's a survival trait that continued on it, it's clearly a beneficial piece for the species uh, and the challenge comes in when we try to adapt ourselves to a more farmer type stable day in and day out lifestyle and so that's where we get into trouble so um the podcast and then the book that I wrote, Drummer in the Great Mountain, uh, starts from the perspective that ADHD is not a disorder. It's a neurological type. And when you learn to work with it, when you learn to understand how your diet and exercise routines, and also how do you restructure your schedule and how you, you move through your life, when you have the, the tools you need, then you can maximize those benefits of being a hunter type. So that just to give the audience kind of a perspective on on where that is. And then I would encourage people to go back and listen to the first, I think, 20 podcasts, go through the book chapter by chapter. And there is a podcast called the Hunter, uh, What is a Hunter Type and the Hunter Farmer Theory. So go back and listen to those and it'll give you a real broad perspective on what we're talking about. So um, from your perspective, Tina, tell me a little bit about um, – how do you adopt, how do you work with this concept of reframing ADHD and why is that important for especially parents? Well, 
I'm going to kind of go into a few things here, I guess. But um, one of the things about ADHD, I I really don't like um, that second D that's for deficit, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, because kids really don't have a deficit of attention. Right. They have a deluge of attention. Um, it's so much information coming in um, from so many different angles um, that they that's the problem. Um, so I feel like that's a little, um, just even the title itself is a, maybe a little off. Um, and then of course I do not like that last D, um, of disorder because I think it, well, it's just negative. And I, I don't think anyone with the word disorder attached feels very good about, about that word in, in relation to who they are. Um, so Basically, I, I've created a video um, for children in which I um, it, it describes the hunter-farmer hypothesis. So I use that video with um, the children that I work with and also with the parents, and it, it's just a way that they can um, kind of talk about that. Um, so anyway, it's been a very positive thing in my work to be able to have the hunter-farmer hypothesis. I'm so grateful to Tom Hartman for all of his diligence and his work in um, developing that hypothesis. Yeah, and I use it on a daily basis. It, it really is. Uh, he struck gold with that. It's still an amazing, I still, I've mentioned this before. It was a great uh, jump in logic to have, to have uh, stumbled upon that and, and have it really hold up. And, and again, as I've mentioned before, whether or not you look at it as a, a hundred percent scientific scientifically proven theory i mean it's technically a hypothesis um as a psychological model it's extremely helpful in terms of thinking about um just how you move through the world and move it working in bursts and and just all the different uh, aspects of what it would be to be a hunter back in the day so that's something to uh to uh, think about as we're going through these pieces the other point i wanted to mention as you were talking about the label of ADHD, the disorder piece, I know that um, clients that I've worked with that are in their maybe 30s that had, they came in on the first wave of ADD, ADHD, and, and what they got growing up was, well, you, you know, you're really smart and you're really intelligent, but you have this thing, you got this problem. And even though it's couched in something positive, they're still, you know, the kids are smart. They're going to pick up like, well, yeah, but that's still a disorder. What does that mean? There's clearly something wrong with me. Uh, and yeah. so that does carry through. I mean, it, from, an, you know, early stages of development, lock in and it's really hard when you get older to rewire. So if you can, we can do it right early on and still give them all the benefits and all the support and all the tools. There's no, there's no positive from my perspective, there's no positive uh, that comes from labeling it as a disorder. I totally agree. And I think we get so focused on our society itself just focuses so much on deficits in people. Um, and I believe that we are actually dimming the light of our children when we do that, when we focus so much on their faults. I think it um, it kind of keeps them down, you know, um, and doesn't allow them to reach their potential and see themselves in a different light. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, kind of the link between intelligence and the hunter type characteristics. 
1902, there was a British pediatrician named Sir George Still, um, and he was really the first person on record that really saw some correlations between those two things. Hmm. Um, and it's it's interesting that you know across through time, I, there's I don't know, there's just I think people think of those characteristics as not being bright a lot of the time. Yes. Um, in my work, I I utilize. Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. Hmm. And Howard Gardner, he's a, a Harvard professor, um, and he is also a renowned developmental psychologist. And his theory doesn't just focus on the definition of giftedness through the school system. Um, it looks at other areas of intelligence as well. So I'll just, I want, I'd love to just go kind of name those off so people know what they are. Fantastic. Um, we don't, we probably won't get too in-depth to it. But um, so one of them is ver verbal linguistic, which is like word smarts, um, mm. you know, those that are good with vocabulary, spelling, writing, those kind of things. Then there's art smarts, um, visual, spatial. Right. And then there's uh, logical mathematical, which is the math, math stuff. And that's math. Math and words are usually the ones that um, are recognized through the school system, but a lot of these others are not. Um, Interesting. There's also music, um, and then there's interpersonal, um, which is how um, people relate with one another, yes. and that just having that ability to understand people in itself could be an intelligence. Empathy, um, like empathic. There's also, yeah, yeah, and, and naturally intuitive with other people. Yes. And then there's intra interpersonal, which would be kind of really strong self-awareness about what's going within on within your mind and uh, metacognition and that kind of thing. And then there's body and kinesthetic, which is kind of your athletes, uh, or it could be someone who does yoga, um, people that use their body and have a um, kind of an intelligence with that. Yes. Which I don't have. Um, <laughs> then there's, and, and the last one that he identified was nature, um, and that people can actually have intelligence with nature. And a lot of times those people that do, they do horribly in school, you know, it's just yes. not their thing. Not always, not always, but, um, sometimes that's the case, but I wanted to go through those because, you know, I, I don't know, we've kind of put things into a box as far as where we think people can be intelligent. And I think it's maybe, um, a little short-sighted. You know, and those are really good points because each one of those, um, whether we uh, like it or not, we all come in with something. Like, you know, no one comes in blank. I mean, that's I pretty much that there was that right. theory of tablet right. or tabula rasa where you just start from zero. But so much of even your, your intuitive personal experience as a human being shows you that that's not the case. People come in. You know, I'm right now I'm working on developing my fine art skills, which even though I've been a graphic artist for many Great. years, going back and actually learning the, the fine art skills I learned through computers and 3D animation, it has been really difficult to go back and really kind of get back to like the basics of drawing. And then I'm looking at like kids that are coming in at like 10 who can like just they're so much more evolved than I am at that skill because it just, they came in with it. And, and I think part of it is it's the draw. Yeah. It's what they, what, what compels people, but there's clearly some people that just have these gifts and withdrawing, for example, um, an ability to perceive the three dimensional world and convert it to a two dimensional 
picture in their brain, that's something that not everyone has. Yeah. And that gives them a great leg. It doesn't right. mean you can't learn it, but there are certain people that just come in with certain skills. And then if you can see those as a parent, then you can foster those and give them the 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 support they need to grow into something that they can that can support them as an adult. Exactly. And I think so often we're focused on these certain trajectories of how we think children, you know, everybody wants their kid to do a certain career or whatever. And sometimes we miss their gifts, you know, because we're so focused on what we think they need to head toward. That's it. And I think that really is the number one piece. That's the, instead of, in, in, I think, you know, some parents get into this piece where they think, okay, they care about their children. They want their kids to thrive growing up. And so they feel like the way that's going to happen exclusively is doing well in school. They think that's the way through, um, which is understandable. But unfortunately, there's some kids that just aren't going to be good at taking tests, which is ultimately what the school has turned into. And we've right. kind of lost the mentorship. And, and it, it's definitely coming back. There's definitely schools and alternative schools and, and even um, charter schools that are working towards bringing back some older methods that, you know, that humanity has used over millennia to, to teach the next generation, especially mentoring and bringing in, you know, new people to uh, bringing new people into the fold of a certain trade. And so I think that's a big yeah. deal. Um, well, let's go, you know, I yeah. think let's, maybe we can segue into, you know, if we're talking about growing up and, and, you know, what it's like to be hunter types, um, I think it's important, especially for those listening who aren't, um, they don't have children, which I don't either, uh, to just talk about, mm-hmm. to give context to what we're talking about. Because some of the, so much of what we're talking about here can be about us maybe healing some wounds that we had growing up. It also can lead us to maybe be yeah. better mentors if we don't decide to have kids, which is a huge mm-hmm. piece in our society that, that does need to be filled. Um, so maybe mm-hmm. we can talk a little bit about, you know, what it was like for us growing up as hunter types and just kind of the challenges that we had. And then maybe we can segue into some tools and tips that um, may be supportive to hunter type parents. That sounds good. Well, uh, I mean, I can start by, um, yeah. and if people start. have, you know, they've been listening to the podcast or they've read the book, they know a little bit about me. So I was pretty dreamy kid. Um, I definitely was, excuse me, I need a sip of water. Um, For most of school, I was definitely like a C student and I was bored. I didn't really engage. I was picked on growing up because I was kind of a dreamy out, out out there kid. But when I got into music, when I got into computers, that's when I really excelled. And and as you were saying, I didn't really get into sports. I wasn't really a physical person. I really was real, and still to this day, I'm very heady, um, very creative, um, but I have to push myself to be, to move and exercise. It's something that I actually got to motivate myself to do. And I know from some of the people that I coach that it's no problem. They just, they have to be out. They got to be, you know, exercising and, and that's ideal, but um, I definitely did yeah. not have that. So I think feeling awkward growing up. And some people. Oh, go ahead. Some people naturally have that competitive piece there too. Like I noticed that with some of the kids I work with is that they are naturally competitive. It is just their thing yes. to get out there and compete, you know, anyway. 
No, yeah. and that's true with a lot of hunter types that I work with. Like it's really, if that's in there, and I, I can, you know, I think that goes in different directions. I can see that piece in me in a certain way. Uh, and a lot of it's just like to be really, really mm-hmm. good at something. It's that, that kind of classic hunter type need for mastering something. I will obsess on something. Mm-hmm. And part of it, if I'm really honest, there's a thing in there about respect I think you, I can look back to being a child and kind of not feeling feeling like a low sense of self esteem, and then there's still that part of me is like I'll show them, and I'm I'm fully aware of it. I'm fully aware. And then as I've interviewed people and as I've spoken to hundred types and listened to people's stories, I know that a lot of really high level creative types have that. It is a competitive piece, but it's not competitive in terms of like a sports competitiveness. Uh, it's yeah. more of like a self, yeah. like push yourself a little harder. But a lot of times underneath there, there's like a need for respect. And I think sometimes those woundings early on can drive you and you can kind of use them in a positive way. So I definitely saw yeah. that. I definitely okay. felt different growing up. Um, and I think one of the positive things that I had from kind of feeling dreamy and kind of just being in on my own world was I didn't really relate with kids my own age. They were, they were kind of like the enemy <laughs> if I, to make it really extreme because I was being picked on. <laughs> like they were not, I did not have a real good uh-huh. sense of support from my peer group. So what it got me to do was hang out with older kids and to, to especially like yeah. adults, maybe like in their early 20s. Uh, and luckily I had access to pr- some, some good role models that could go in a totally other direction, but fortunately it didn't. Um, but I didn't have the hyperactivity and I, th- we'll talk about that. I didn't, it was definitely more in the ADD spectrum of, of not having the hyperactivity, but all of the other, you know, drawn towards stimulation, need for mastery, uh, disorganized. My room was totally a mess usually growing up. Um, and, you know, and I procrastinated a lot. I hated school. I didn't, I, and I, I just didn't really feel the stimulation with school, but I did find real high stimulation in terms of music and learning skills like computers and things like that. And this is like early days of computers, like early eighties. So, and anxiety, right, I could say right. for sure was a big piece of it to this day. I mean, that's still one of my big ones is anxiety. That's something I just constantly Thank have you. to work on. So that's yeah. me. Uh, what about you, Tina? What was your experience growing up? You know, mine was similar. Like, I definitely share some of those feelings that you had as well. Um, I definitely felt weird, you know, like I felt like I didn't fit in um, with the popular crowd or whatever, for sure. Um, and sometimes felt like I didn't fit in really with anyone. Um, I was, my early childhood was more, um, I was more introverted. That changed a little bit as I got older, but um, I started off very, very, very introverted. Um, I was also really anxious, like like you said. Um, when I was really young, I like in elementary school, I was, um, they put me in gifted classes. Hmm. And then, so I did pretty well academically in those early days. And then I'm, we moved to another state. They didn't have that kind of program, so that kind of went away. But um, as I got into middle school, which I now know is a typical thing, but when I got into middle school, you know, it requires you to switch classes. It requires you to be more on top of your game. And I really struggled with that organizational piece. Yeah. And um, my grades went down. And from then on, pretty much I was average. I was an average student. Um, and I think a lot of that was just trying to figure out how to manage things. Yes. Um, and at home, 
at home, my parents definitely did not get me at all. Um, and my relationship with my dad was very tenuous, um, yeah. which is interesting because I am a lot like him. He's actually passed away now, but mm. um, he was a hunter type all the way. Um, yeah. But I don't know that he ever knew that. I don't know that he ever understood himself. Yeah. Um, and he was super hard on me. Um, and he had a hard time managing his own um, you know, impulses and emotions. And some of, some of the time that came off, um, sometimes he was emotionally and physically abusive. Um, so yeah. I've kind of come through all of that or whatever, but, um, I am, I now realize, and I'm actually grateful to him, um, because I feel like he taught me independence and made me rely on my own capability. Yeah. And at the time it felt cruel, yes. <laughs> but, um, but at that, was a gift and I'm sure that's what he was intending to do um he just did it in a rather harsh way so, yes um and I think there's ways to do that maybe aren't so harsh but um anyway in the long run I I got a lot um from my dad but um certainly I felt like a fish out of water at home and at school interesting um I hmm. I've always really, I've always enjoyed writing um and even to this day I love to write and, yes. and that's funny. You were talking about how you you kind of found your things when you were young too that you still do now. Yes. Um, but I wrote a lot of poetry, which was a big creative outlet for me. Um, and then later, like later in high school, I got into the theater, which was a good thing for me too. Ah, uh, yes. Um, yeah. And I was always kind of this spiritual kid, like not necessarily religious as much as spiritual, but, um, you know, kind of always looking, searching for meaning and just trying to figure it all out, you know? Um, and I did end up getting involved in a church, which gave me a really good sense of belonging and that kind of thing. But I just always was kind of seeking something bigger than myself when I was a kid. Interesting. Interesting. So that was, that's kind of my childhood stuff, I guess. Yeah, it's, you know, and it, it just hearing you and, you know, and looking at both of our stories, there's definitely as much, uh, there was, it didn't sound like on either front, there was anyone that understood us. Like we really were kind of just yeah. off on our own. Like we had to kind of just work it out and, and, uh, fall over. And, uh, and luckily, you know, we made it through, um, relatively unscathed and but i would say that's somewhat of the luck of the draw because i know you know it could be a i know a lot of the people listening are like oh my gosh i wish i had that kind of upbringing that was no, that's nothing compared to what i went through um right. including getting right. into addiction right. or having really bad role models growing up to you know with kids or you know i can say yeah. for me if I, I i could have gotten in and i you know i can see there was definitely uh, turning points where I could have gone one direction. You know, I w it's not like I was completely walled off from, you know, addictive substances or um, people that may not have had the uh, the most uh, good upbringing themselves that could have taken me down a bad path. So, like those choices were there <laughs> and, and were available at some yeah, point. Yeah. So, well, but me I think too. me too. I'm with. Yeah, but I think what what's important is what can be done for the next generation, whether or not you've healed and, you know, and we, we're not going to go into it too, too much, but, you know, mo most of us have wounding 
that we've gone through. I mean, I'd say just as a human being, you go through life and you're going to have some kind of trauma or something that's going to happen and some far worse than others. And there's, there's a point at which you may want to stop. And I'm kind of talking to the listeners about, you know, those, those, and you know who you are, where your trauma is to the point where you need to find a good therapist to work through and untie some of that so that you don't bring, like, especially if you have kids that you don't pass that along to the next generation. Um, and, and everyone's got to kind of make that call for themselves. But, and that's, I'd say that's even less about the ADHD hunter type piece. It's more just about as a human being. And, um, and there's just patterns that get adopted early on especially through trauma and, and adapting to situations that as an adult, it's helpful to sit down with someone else who is skilled, like a skilled therapist to walk you through it, maybe untie, bring some consciousness into those places, maybe do some releasing so that you don't have to be totally motivated or, you know, have so much anxiety about some of these pieces that it actually keeps you from being a good parent for your kids. You have any thoughts on that, that piece? Yeah. Yeah, I just completely agree. Um, if you've got some unresolved um, stuff there that still hangs there, you know, um, it's it's vital that that be dealt with for sure. Um, anybody I know that's find, feeling like they're sitting on the more more positive end of things, all of them have had help to get there. They've all seen yeah. therapists, or they've all, you know, like you need to talk with that about that. You need to deal with that. Um, and it will help your, your parenting for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the thing is we don't have to carry it all by ourselves. I think that's the key piece is like, if there are these things that we hold on to can, can destroy us if we don't have an outlet and just really knowing that you're okay, like whatever the dark thing is, whatever yeah. the experience was, part of it is having some listening and just having that kind of compassionate listening where someone listens to you with no judgment, that alone can shift it. And sometimes we get that from a, from our partners, but not always. So, um, so, well, this is a good segue into, let's talk, let's go into parenting and especially let's, let's talk about hunter type parents with hunter type children. And I want to really point out that for most of the scientific studies on ADD, ADHD, it's strongly related to genetics, which is that if you're um, if you're a hunter type, if you look back, I mean, I almost say a hundred percent of the people that I coach, one of their parents was a hunter type. That's and and very clearly not like well, I kind mm-hmm. of think so. They were like, no, definitely that was my dad, and you know, and sometimes it was like, no, that was my mom. My dad was really solid and stable and more of a farmer type. So, Tina, what do you? Why don't we? Let's go into this. What What do you think about? Um, what are some, what have you witnessed from hunter type parents who are then attempting to raise hunter type children that, that reflect back to them how they are? Yeah. And there's, there's so many differences. There's also many similarities, but, um, one of the things is just, I'm so glad that you do this podcast and you've got listeners that clearly are wanting to help themselves, you know, like we've all done our work and we're all still doing our work. And, um, and you've got listeners that, that want to work on these characteristics because these characteristics sometimes in parenting can be a real struggle. If you're a hunter type adult parenting, a hunter type child. Um, so for example, perfectionism and hyper-focus, um, which we all have to a certain degree, I should, 
I should say most of us do anyway, I think that are hunter types. Yes. Um, you know, sometimes that hyper focus can, can be channeled into the kids actually, you know, it depends on what all that parent has going on. But um, sometimes there are parents that end up hyper-focusing on what's going on with their kids. And that um, a lot of times doesn't go so well um, yeah. because it's almost too, it's too much. It's too suffocating for them. Um, You're talking about like helicopter then, parents. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's sometimes, you know, we can get into that mode and it's because we want the best for them and we worry about them and we want them to be successful, but we, we, um, we just kind of take over their world sometimes and don't let them um, develop their own capability to do things. Um, and perfectionism just really ties in with that because a lot of times it's, it's, we want them to be whatever we deem to be successful, perfect, whatever. Um, and not only that, but we're also wondering how we're perceived and we want to be good parents, right? I mean, it kind of all ties uh, in. Yes. Um, again, this isn't this isn't every hunter parent, but I see this a lot. Um, and yeah, I guess sometimes it, the perfectionism can cause us to have unrealistic expectations, and we push too hard. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's kind of what we were talking about. You know, society has its ideas of what success looks like, and sometimes we push in those directions. And what society thinks is success is not necessarily what our kids' gifts are in or not necessarily what their success is going to be, you know? Yes. Um, anyway, so just to, to help them and just find their own way, I guess. Well, and this is a good point. So there, there's two pieces to it. There's one is the, the parent trying to then take their tendency towards mastery to say, I'm going to be the perfect parent. I'm going to be the best parent ever, and I'm going to do yeah. whatever it takes to get it. And and because there are very loose rules in terms of what that looks like, the only thing that that you can look to is like, okay, my kid's going to be successful. That's my mm -hmm. that's going to be my barometer for whether or not I'm a really good parent. And so right. when the kid starts to exhibit the same tendencies and you know the procrastination the dreaminess and all that, that that we had growing up then that triggers in us that oh now i'm not doing my job and so i've got to really double down and and really become like you know get strict and do the things that we know you know deep down didn't really help us growing up either yeah and we forget it's so crazy how we forget maybe it's that working memory piece sometimes for yeah. some of us but we forget what we were like as kids. We forget that we struggled with some of the very same things. Um, so, you know, one of the simple things is just to try to figure out whatever your child is struggling with that's driving you nuts. Um, see if you can remember a time that you felt that same way and struggled with that same thing, because chances are you may have. Yes. Um, if you're a hunter-type parent parenting a hunter-type child. If yes. you're a, a, not a hunter-type parent, you might not have, you might not have had those same, same experiences, but yeah. Yes. And the other thing I wanted to mention is, um, you know, executive skills, which is a whole different, that'll be a whole different day. <laughs> we'll talk yes. about that, but, um, executive skills are those skills that, um, you know, um, you talk about them that, um, take place in the prefrontal cortex that enable us to initiate tasks. Yes. Um, and, 
a lot of times we struggle with them. That's the characteristics, some of the characteristics of being a hunter type or some of those struggles. So we're not able to be the most consistent people in the world most of the time when we're trying to teach our kid these things. So if we're yeah. trying to teach time management and that's a struggle for us, um, that can be really hard. Yes. Anyway, so we have to put systems in place for ourselves and for our children. Um, but also, you know, well, you know, that's have a, a little mercy on ourselves that's and on it. them. And we have to be vulnerable and ability, which is a key piece. I think that's really difficult for parents. They think we're, you know, the, your child will perceive you as weak if you're able to just express your yeah. vulnerabilities. But actually, that's one of the best skills that you can have mirrored to you growing up is is the ability to to maintain your sense of self dignity while still um, being clear that there's areas where you still need to grow. That's a really good piece to model to your children but it's also difficult because you want your child to to trust you you want them to look up to you and think okay mom and dad have it together and it's a little difficult when you're struggling but i Mm -hmm. think just in terms of general moving through the world the more you can be um authentic you're actually going to be a more um successful person because you're not wasting so much energy trying to pretend that you're something that you're not. Yes. And I find in my own family and with other families that I work with, one of the most helpful things is just for everybody to really gain an understanding of who each person in the family is and how they function. And when kids hear that parents are struggling with the same thing, it it helps them feel okay. You know, we're all in this together. We all have our own struggles. Um, instead of just, you know, I think a lot of times we point the finger at a child, like they alone have all these issues and, and adults, we, we don't look at our own pieces of it, you know? Yes. Yes. Well, you know, so let's go into a little bit of, and we covered this last time, but I think it's a good point to revisit, which is, uh, cause it kind of gets into the extremes of what we're talking about. So overwhelm, anger. These are topics that we've discussed before on the podcast. Um, And we discussed this briefly when you were on last time, but I think it's an important one to revisit, which is how how parents can maybe work with their own levels of overwhelm, anger, and projecting it out to the child. And also that, and you mentioned it with your dad, um, an inability to stop yourself and like what you can do to maybe soften that a little bit. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, hunter kiddos are hard to parent for sure. Um, because of those qualities that actually make them really strong, you know, but it it can be really difficult parenting them. So it's, and, and when we've got our own hunter type characteristics going on sometimes, and if we're not getting our needs met, then, you know, we can get very, very frustrated and angry and it's hard to, it's hard to take a step back. Um, but certainly that is, so important is to remember that we don't have to address everything right at that moment. We can take a minute, you know, not a minute, we could take a, a while yes. and calm down before trying to respond. Um, and in that, and in doing that, we model impulse and emotional control Yes, for the kids. Um, and it's just so important that parents practice self-care. Um, yes, exactly. I know I used to think of exercise and a lot of those things as luxuries, but um, I, am a better parent and a better human being if I am getting those needs met for exercise, for just taking care of myself and giving myself some time. Yes. Um, that 
they are as necessary as, you know, our basic needs of food and water, pretty much. Yes. They are to me. It feels that way to me anyway. Um, so, and I think it's just to, important to remember, I always um, say, you know, I am a work in progress. I am not done yet. Yes. <laughs> and so yes. when we mess up, we're a work in progress, you know, um, we're going to mess up. We can't expect that we're not going to. It's just the way we are. Yeah, we're all going to mess up our children in one wonderful ways, whether we like it or not. There's, you're never going to be perfect at parenting. <laughs> you're going to mess up. They're going to be messed That's up in right. some way. So you at least got to, like, in some ways, take the pressure <laughs> off yourself because you can't get around it. Um, and I like the idea, the the concept of someone. Uh, What's the, what's the expression? Uh, when you see someone who seems to have it all together, it's the, the definition of someone who has it all together is someone you don't know very well. Because as soon as you get to know them, you're like, oh, no, they're just mm -hmm. messed up. And, and pe some people can hide it really, really well. But ultimately, our society and just the way we function in our society is, is in so many ways backwards and, and antithetical to our natures mm -hmm. that none, none of us can do it right. So um, we just do our best. And I yeah. think it's just looking at the yeah. extremes, seeing, you know, try to get to that place of like 60 to 70% on the plus side is, is a good way to start. Even 50 is really good. Yeah. <laughs> and then go from there. But I, I, mm -hmm. I yeah, totally concur great. with you on um, exercise, diet. Uh, the other note that comes up to me is um, getting empathy from other parents. So, so for uh, I think women sometimes have more of an opportunity. I think there's a, it's a little more socially acceptable um, to, to for for moms to get together and talk and kind of decompress and express the frustrations. Uh, dads not so much. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to recommend you know if 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 you're a dad, men's groups are awesome. If you can find a good men's group in your area, whether it's connected to your church or just uh, there's so many that are secular that just men get together, chat, do like talking stick, pass the stick, just share. Just getting witnessed for the challenges is so helpful in just recognizing that one, you're not alone and two, that there's a way you can you can give your you cut yourself some slack. You can just you can just exhale and just that alone just being less tense around your children is a great gift to them yeah well said so well how about let's go into some uh tools and tips let's make some you know offer some possible suggestions um i know you put together a list and i've got a few lists a uh, few pieces of my own to share um why don't you like what are some tips that you have for hunter type parents raising hunter type children? Yeah, and some of them I I really just kind of took took the things that I thought we all needed, you know, like um or what 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 we all need, but what kids should focus on getting, I guess. Um so the first one is sunlight. And these are Michael, these are things you talk about too. Um so sunlight, we're we're getting, not getting enough sunlight. Our kids don't get enough sunlight. Um, mm -hmm. And so most of them have a vitamin D deficiency. Yes. So I usually recommend to parents that children take a um, vitamin D and um, omega-3 supplement. Yes. yes. And, and maybe even some magnesium as well, but definitely vitamin D and, and omega-3s, those I think are good ones. Um, to help with um, attention and focus and those kind of things as well. Yes, agreed. Um, and then exercise, which I know you talk about a lot, Michael. Um, exercise is 
critical, um, very important. And, you know, I think it's important. I, I said this last time when I was on your podcast, but uh, structured activities provide so many good things, um, but I think it's also important to teach children how to get exercise on their own yes. so they aren't reliant on a um, team, you know. So that's important. And then um, one thing that's big for me is movement when needing to focus. And mm. I, I know... <laughs> I used to be in staff meetings, like writing my own doodles and coloring them in. And, you know, I'm sure it looked a little odd, <laughs> but it really helped me to focus um, for a, a longer period of time. And so if I'm going to be sitting down with my kids and we need to have a serious talk about something, I give them something to fidget with in their hands um, so they can get that movement. And that, yeah, that allows them to be able to um, sit there for the whole dur duration and actually focus on what I'm, what we're talking about. Um, and schools are bringing those in a lot more too, um, like the stress balls. Yes. Um, there's putty, even though a lot of teachers do not like putty and a lot of parents don't like putty, but you know, there's different things like that. Whatever a child can fidget with that isn't going to take their attention, it's just going to be a, a movement yes. is helpful. And I know you're big on this one too, Michael. Natural foods. Yes. Um, definitely. De and I'll let you. I'll let you talk about this one because you're. This is one of your things. Well, you know, anyone, you know, people hear this every single podcast, but it's always deserves repeating. High protein, a healthy, lean, high protein, low carb diet with, and most importantly, getting rid of the artificials, and that's our. Uh, artificial preservatives, artificial flavorings, artificial um, uh, colorings, especially those are actually yes. many studies on yes. this for ADHD. Uh, but not only that, I mean, you're, you're preventing cancer. Um, you're going to boost your immune system. There's X, but this is why for me, um, when I work with, uh, you know, people tuning in and the coaching clients that I have um, before going straight to medication, you try this route on for size because not only does it give your kids, um, it improves your health, improves your kids' health. It gets them going on a good trajectory that's going to give them strong, they'll make them stronger, more vital kids um, so that they're actually doing the things that they need that, you know, medication is not going to do that. Medication will affect one specific thing in their brain, but it's not going to help them. It's not going to give them any nutrients. It's not going to help them, you know, have, have, a, you know, strong, their brain is going to, going to grow and, and function better. It just affects dopamine typically and um, a few of the other neurotransmitters. So highly recommended as a family, and this is, you know, maybe we can talk about this a little bit as a family making the decision to eat healthier. What, what are your thoughts on that, Tina? Because that's not an, always an easy thing, but it, it is always better as a family, in my opinion, to do it as a team. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really hard with kids because they get sugar at school. They get, you know, you and you and I think it's not, you know, you can't be completely shut you can't shut it off completely i guess but you can set i mean i think it's most helpful to at least just set um a standard for what you have in your home you know yes. and that there's things that are special and that they're treats and that kind of thing but that in your home 
you know, maybe you don't have sodas, maybe you don't have cookies, you know, like this is how we eat in our house and knowing that you're not going to be able to control everything yes. um, and helping them understand. I mean, when my children understand, they read the labels and everything and they, they understand what's good for them and what's not good for them. Not that they follow that all the time, yes. but they really are interested in how different foods affect their body. Um, so I, again, it's that open communication and discussion about all of this. Yes. Um, it's helpful. Educating the kids to, and to, I wanted to, to understand how, how that they, they can go and, and read the label, understand what, what they're putting in their body to bring awareness to that piece, which, you know, I never had growing up and most people didn't growing up yeah. and now like just bringing yeah. that into the frame of reference to like, this is an important thing to learn. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And then creativity was another one um, that is so important. And I think a lot of times um, not, not taken for how much it can provide to children. Yes. Um, and Michael, I know you once talked about, um, about that. I'd love you, for you to talk about that again, about the um, relation to creativity with the dopamine. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of our, our big plus um, as being wired this way as hunter types is that um, – because, I mean, from my research, it seems to be that what constitutes a hunter type is less dopamine receptors in our brain. That seems to be kind of the prime piece. And what that does is it makes us drawn to stimulation. It makes us a little restless. Uh, and the the reward of that is it makes us very creative. We connect things together that that maybe someone else hasn't connected before. That's sort of the, that's when you look at great artists, what makes them great is they did something different than anyone else did, or they connected two things together that hadn't been connected before. Same with scientists. So for us, it's like, this is, this is our, our lifeblood is creativity for many of us. And, and it could be as an entrepreneur, even in sports, it's like you're constantly being, if you're good, if you're good at your, your sport, you're going to be creative in terms of how you respond and what you do and mastering those things. So for me, um, for, and for kids growing up, if they have that thing that they, they're good at, creatively and they can focus on it and they can pour their, you know, what they love into it and they're encouraged to do it. Um, this is a, this goes a long ways, I think, in it as a therapy, because I know if I didn't have that, I would have just been a miserable kid. I would have been, I would have probably gotten into drugs yeah. and done all the things, but it, I mean, creativity saved my life. Yeah. And I hear that. I hear that for people. Um, they sometimes, you know, people will get teary even talking about how much creativity is meant to them. Yeah. Um, and I also find that creativity is so helpful for just helping people to calm down, helping children to calm down. Um, yes. It's used a lot in my house. You know, if, if tensions are high, people go create, you know, and it really um, completely changes the whole scene. That's fantastic. Um, very, very helpful thing. Yeah. So the last thing that I had that I think is a real need um, is ways to calm down. Mm. Um, and that, and I think we struggle with that as adults too. And it's so important to Michael, you talk about this, you know, too, to, to do some type of meditation or breathing or have some kind of practice where you are kind of shutting out the rest of the world and focusing inward um, it's, it's kind of essential, I think. Um, 
I, I do a lot of breathing, like even in my car, um, and it has made a world of difference for me. I feel like I have, um, I feel like I have slowed down in my responses because I utilize um, deep breathing as a, a daily part of my routine. Fantastic. So, and those can be taught to children. Um, children can learn that stuff. So, Absolutely. Um, and, you know, anyway, I want to add yeah. to that, like, you know, kids yoga is definitely something that's been growing where kids will go and in good, I've seen a lot of really good teachers that can go in, work with kids, teach them some basic yoga. And, um, just as part of the yoga practice is breathing exercises. And I think kids can really adopt it mm -hmm. quickly. And I, surprisingly, you'd think, oh, kids would never want to sit still and just, you know, sit quietly, but they can do it. It's actually something they're capable of. I think a lot of adults have assumptions that, oh, well, I never did that as a kid, but you never probably tried to do it. Um, I think kids want to grow. Yeah. They want that they're interested in new things. And uh, surprisingly, meditation can be stimulating. It can be something that kids can, can if they get the bug, uh, especially when it's connected to movement, uh, can be very powerful in setting uh, patterns that can really help them. It's, it's, the thing that I love about yoga specifically is when it's teaching uh, good breath control and breathing, but it also teaches kids um, self-discipline. And developing self-discipline at an early age for hunter types mm -hmm. is very, very helpful. Yeah, I ha I'm going to tell a very, very quick story here. But um, this last year, my son was supposed to play in the band for graduation. And we have a really small band. Okay, four people in this particular <laughs> band. Um, and he kind of has it kind of has a leading role in it. Um, and he forgot his belt. So his underwear was kind of, you know, hanging out a little bit and he got so stressed out. And, um, mm. anyway, we were trying to figure out how to resolve it and, and calm him down and that kind of thing. But I was standing next to him and we ended up kind of, we were looking at some papers on a desk and I could hear him next to me taking deep breaths and he calmed himself down. And I was so excited because a lot <sighs> of times, you know, they're like, I don't want to breathe or, you know, they're so, you know, they think you're just this annoyance. You know? Yes. Yeah, and yeah. it's so funny because a lot of times actually do, if we model stuff, a lot of times they'll do it in the long run. It may not, um, may not seem like they will, but they do. So that's a great story. I mean, that really is it. It's like it, when kids have just the frame of reference that they can and should learn to be able to control and work through emotions and and to be able to come that mm -hmm. will eventually come back like they will that will it may be not early on but as they get older that pattern that thing will come back to them again just like learning a language or learning how to walk everything else like everything else that gets modeled to them this piece of learning self-awareness an ability to to not just be mm -hmm. swung along by your emotions that you can take a breath calm yourself down yeah. and not get spun uh, to pull themselves out, that skill, modeling that at a young age is extremely helpful and extremely powerful for them because that, I mean, you can just see how much that it's, it's going to help them when they're taking tests or when they're, um, you know, going for a job interview or whatever it is, that piece is going to, you know, maybe it floats back in it, when they're 20, but still it's, it's there. It, there was a foundation built uh, to begin with. Well, yeah. let, I'll tell you what, let me go through. So that's an excellent list. I think that really, those are really good suggestions. I completely agree with all of those. 
Um, I made mm-hmm. a list myself. I was going through and thinking about this before we talked, once we, we stumbled upon the theme that we were going to discuss. And I thought, okay, what is it that I, uh, what can kids specifically, um, what, what can be taught to kids at an early age? What's the direction to go in so that those kids, um, you know, how, how would, how, what would I want? What would, what would have made my life even easier growing up had I learned these things? So, and yeah. I, the, we've already covered this one. One is avoid calling them ADHD. It's a bad, the, the, it's just a bad label. If you, if hundred type resonates with you, use that, uh, make up your own. <laughs> that's fine too. Just not referencing it mm-hmm. as a disorder. I think that's a huge, uh, that's a good starting place. Cause then, then there's a self-respect. They can see themselves as a whole individual and not something that's broken, which is big. Um, Again, encouraging self-awareness, uh, as just as we talked about mind, mindfulness meditation, understanding their tendencies as a hunter type and how to work with them uh, with the hyper-focus and, and with um, draw, being drawn to stimulation. Those things that, that they can start to be aware, like, oh, okay, this is, this is how I am. This is how this affects me positively and negatively. Um, just bringing that awareness to them, I think, can be extremely helpful. Um, sufficiently challenging them. This is something I think we've talked about before. I think part of what happens with hunter types is they get bored because they're actually really smart and they're not challenged. And so they're like, okay. So I I think one of the things we can do without becoming overbearing is continually asking kids to like challenge themselves. Uh, You know, when it's just not mindlessly, but maybe thinking in terms of smaller chunks. So if they're doing um, their homework, say, you know, how, what can you accomplish in like 30 minutes? Let's make a game out of it. Let's, let's turn this mundane thing that they don't want to do into something that's stimulating that has, there's it's challenge and it, 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 in and of itself, it may be something boring, but maybe they can take it and do something with it so that they can, they can turn it into a game. They can learn to, to utilize that hyper-focus, like, okay, I'm being timed. I've got 20 minutes. i got to do this. Uh, that kind of sufficiently challenging kids, I think when they learn that and they start to adopt that um, as they go into school and have to then monitor themselves as they grow up, um, having that piece in is part of their toolkit, I think is helpful. What do you think about that, Tina? Have you had any, any thoughts on that piece? Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking more, I've, I'm thinking of it in terms of um, capability. And I know I talked about this last time I think I was on, but it's one of my big themes is helping kids find their own capability, which I think ties with what you're saying here. Um, and so I always encourage parents to look at problems as opportunities Mm. because so often we get overwhelmed when we hear kids struggling with something and especially if the school calls and we're like, Oh my gosh. Um, You know, if you can, there are always opportunities that lie within problems. Um, And if we can take things and turn them that way, um, then I think that significantly helps matters. Um, so I have another story. Go for it. <laughs> um, it, it I'll tell it I'll, again. I'll we'll get through this here. Um, so one one evening I was cooking dinner, and I got to say, dinner is not my thing. Like it's I um 
if there's other people there, I have a really hard time focusing on cooking when I'm focusing on people because I'm so focused on people. Yes. So we had my in-laws over. And they're wonderful people. Um, but I was very focused on them and I was trying to cook. And my son starts taking the potato peel that I was peeling and shoving it down into the garbage disposal <laughs> because he wants to see what will happen. Yes. Right? I mean, he's like completely curious about this and thinks this will be a fascinating experiment. Sure. So he shoves all of this potato peel down there, and of course, it gets clogged up. Yes. And so I'm, you know, trying to somewhat entertain, some try to cook, and then I've got this little dilemma going on. So I got really frustrated at first, and I was like, you know, would you just go? You know, I was like just frustrated. And then um, I calmed myself down, and I thought, all right. Where's the opportunity in this? Yes. <laughs> um, and so I decided that he could learn from this. And so I went and got um, my computer and looked up YouTube how to um, fix the garbage disposal. Good. Good. And I, and he fixed it. He fixed awesome. the whole thing by himself. Awesome. And he felt like a million bucks afterwards. So instead of it being this negative thing where I'm fussing at him and he feels bad about himself. That's right. It actually was a great learning opportunity. That's so. fantastic. That that's that's yeah, a perfect can, example of like how that situation of like oh it it, it could have been I'm a problem kid because I broke the the garbage disposal mm -hmm. he's now the hero because he fixed the garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that was really cool. Love it. That's great. Well, you know, let's see. So going through the, the rest of my list here, I think one big one, and th this is hard for me to say because, I mean, I, I grew up with computers, and but it's a different world now. I would say one is, and this is common, limit phone and internet use, especially early on. Ideally, no phone mm -hmm. until they're older and, and they can they can learn to navigate when like they have the self discipline to turn it off and and, and as adults we I mean we're still navigating how to do this ourselves so um, yeah but I think yeah. you know to be aware of that that specifically the hyper stimulation uh, at a young age can. And, and I, I use this word a lot, addiction. It's, it's really when, the, when it's to the point where you can't stop something even though you want to, that's an addiction. So um, having some awareness to it, teaching ch children to then uh, the other pieces to not just like completely remove it and then never give them any skills to um, learn to stop themselves. So I think th this is a piece where bringing self-awareness of like once like, okay, we're going to – you can use the iPad or whatever – um, you have it for X amount of time and then you need to stop and then explain to them why, instead of just having it be adult telling child, I'm an adult, this is what you're doing. Maybe try to explain to them over and over again, this is why we need to stop. And then also this is a wonderful opportunity for parent to build that muscle themselves to not sit. You know, I would encourage all parents, don't be on your phone. Don't be on your iPad when you're eating dinner ever. Yes, Just agreed. make that time be with the kids, build that pattern. And if you can't stop, then that's something that you need to work on. Uh, and part of it is you may have to just lock it into the other room, but have that be part of the awareness of we are eating and we know what we're eating. We're not doing other stuff. We're like sitting yeah, down as a, a family and eating. Yeah, it's a rule. Like you just said it. That's just the way it is. Yeah. I, I really think that uh, that piece is important. This is something that I know that, you know, me and, and my partner, we sit down, we, when we eat dinner, we eat dinner. 
We sit quietly. We don't have any other stimulation. We just sit and talk and connect and we're present with what we're doing in that moment. And if it's the only thing you do that brings awareness during the day, then so be it. Cause sometimes just, and I've mentioned this in the book, just awareness that I'm eating right now. And this is, this is my opportunity to come back to the present moment. Uh, oftentimes it's the only cue that most of us have in a busy life to do that, but we can do that as we're eating. Uh, well, let me go through the rest of this. Uh, so encouraging self-expression, we already discussed this. I think the one piece that I would add to what we've already talked about is um, teaching your children and giving them the opportunity to develop the skills they need to, to, uh, to make a living at it later. Like if they have a certain skill as an artist, get them around other artists. If you can encourage them to seek out mentors. Uh, and un- have them understand what mentoring is. It's not. There's a difference between a teacher and a mentor. Mentor, someone that you really want to emulate, and, and someone who who they themselves are fulfilled doing the task that they're doing. And that's a little different than teaching. And there's often people that are mentors and teachers. They can teach well, and they have a full life doing the thing that they're teaching. And I think that's a big piece because there seems to be a divergence of that in our culture where people go, oh, well, I wasn't able to do this for a living, therefore uh, I'm going to go teach it. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's good. I think it's better to find people. And, and I think hunter-type kids, as they grow up, they're going to gravitate towards the authentic people anyway. So I think early on, if you can um, encourage them, even if they're just watching a documentary on someone that, that, that's in their field of interest uh, – give them some of the skills that they that they'll need to learn as they kind of evolve into that craft if that's what they're wanting to do and again sometimes this goes into a non uh or accentuated by college but may not necessarily be the key piece the bigger piece maybe that they just they learn the skills to do especially in art art's a little bit easier to to get a job and do it without a huge list of credentials from a, a like if you're able to do something well you can usually get a job getting paid to do that well. Any thoughts mm-hmm. on that, Tina? Yeah, just that I, I completely agree. Um, and I think that entrepreneuring is really important as well. And I'm glad our world is moving in that direction. Yes. Um, because there's, there are many, many ways that, um, children can, well, that we can make money. Like what you said, it doesn't have to always be teaching. It can be a variety of things. You can just be creative with it. Yes. We're, we're in a pretty cool world right now. The, the world is our oyster kind of thing. Um, and this is such a big thing for me. I, um, I am so huge on kids learning business skills early because so many hunter type children are not good with money. Um, And so I think it's so important and not for hunter type children, honestly, for all children to learn how to manage money early. Yes. Um, So my, my children, both my daughter had her first business at age seven. um, And she had a, she made, she had a cookie of the month club and made cookies each month. Fantastic. Um, And then yeah. And then, and she's done a few other ones since then. Um, and then my son started a vending machine business at age seven. He's now wow. 12 oh, and he's man. got, he's got two, two businesses. I mean, two vending machines in two different businesses. Um, and he has learned so much. They both have learned so much from, um, from doing business. They, they call the businesses themselves. They do all of that. Um, wow. and it's been better teaching 
think anything they could have gotten in school in regards to that. Uh. So I'm big on that. And I, I, um, families a lot on, um, you know, if there's a kid really interested in something, trying to figure out how they can make it a business, even if they are eight years old or whatever. Absolutely. And I think this is especially important for hunter type kids because, um, knowing that you, there's multiple ways you can make money. I mean, it could be as simple as getting a booth at the local farmer's market and growing plants and selling those. There, there's an infinite amount of things that kids can do to learn how to make money other than just going and getting a job. And I think I've, I've, and people, I've said this before on the podcast, it's very yeah. important as a human being to know that there's multiple ways you can, you can sustain yourself, build security, um, without just having to get a nine to five job. It's, it, there's, it gives you a greater level of freedom. And yeah. I think for hunter types specifically, um, because we tend to not fit into a mold that is always best for uh, like a nine to five job doing the same thing over and over again. The skill that's necessary is entrepreneuring. Mm -hmm. So highly recommend it. Yes. I love those examples are fantastic. Um, the last piece I'd say, and then we can start wrapping up. And this is a big, big, big one. And I want to highlight this. I left it to the end because I felt like this was, this was one of the biggest ones for hunter types. Encourage your child to build a habit of completion. Completion is the, it's the one thing that I see the most challenging for hunter types. And building a habit of completion yeah. means if, a ki if one of your children starts something and they're into it, give them, encourage them to set a milestone of something they're going to do it with whatever it is that they're doing and they hit the milestone. And part of that means that they don't set too high a bar that they'll never accomplish it. And this is something that a parent can do early on, uh, encouraging their kids. If they start a project, they finish the project. Um, and this is it. This yes, one yes. particular skill is going to, to carry them throughout their lives. And I can tell you that this is something that I had to really work on and I really didn't get it fully until I think I was in my twenties. And I luckily kind of, realized I needed to to restructure how I work and set goals for myself. It doesn't mean that I, I complete every single project that I start, but um, I'm clear about that process being very essential. And, and for me now, you know, doing both the work that I do with coaching as well as doing media work, um, I complete, you know, if I start a project with a client, I have to complete it. There's no, I can't just get bored with it and move on. Uh, I have to, to, to discipline myself to finish the project well and excel it. And part of it is setting timelines, setting realistic goals. And these are things that kids can learn at a young age. And that will really help them thrive, uh, especially hunter-type children. Yes. Love it. That's great. Awesome. Well, I think this was a, this was great. I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, I hope this was helpful to the audience. Um, what about you, Tina? What are any some some thoughts on on kind of wrapping this up? What are some things that you you want to cover? Just that 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 would give parents um, just uh, any anything that would kind of move them forward, and um, and also maybe share a little bit about what you've been doing and how they can, can get in touch with you. Okay. So the, the core of my work is really to help children and families to understand themselves and each other's, um, each other, <laughs> um, while recognizing the gifts that lie within their neurological differences. And 
to me, this is the core of, of everything is understanding an open dialogue about that within families. Um, and I'd love to see that move to society as well, where children were able to talk about their differences a little more openly. Um, so in, I wanted to mention that I, in working with children, um, I found it very difficult to talk with them about the characteristics of, about themselves. You know, like I want them to know how their brain functions what, what they struggle with, what they, what's easy for them. I want them to just understand themselves. And I think so often we don't, you know, kids don't, adults don't. Um, and I had such a hard time trying to work on this with children in the context of disorder. Like I cannot say to a child, you have a disorder. And so this is why you do this or whatever. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I love Tom Hartman's hunter farmer hypothesis so much that I did create this video, um, for children that kind of explains that hypothesis um, and get, it gives me an entryway and a foundation to then start working on all the other aspects of who they are. So I just wanted to put out there, I do have that available on my website um, for sale, that video. Um, it comes in what I call the Young Hunter Survival Kit. Um, so there's the video, which is a nine minute long video um, my daughter narrated it, and Arthur Leland, who's been yes. on your podcast before, Michael, yes. um, his music is on there. Um, so with the Young Hunter Survival Kit, you get the video. There's family discussion questions um, that come with it, a document called Tips for Optimal Focus, and then another one called Tools for Parenting Young Hunters, and it has a lot of research connected to it as well. Um, so I just wanted to make sure parents know that that is available. Um, it's $24.95 um, for that kit. And again, it's available on my website, which is www.guidingbright.com. Um, and I also provide coaching for parents um, by phone. So if that's something, if any of your listeners are struggling with parenting and um, would just like a little, you know, a little help on that, that is something that I provide through my business as well. And I thank you for having me here. Oh, fantastic. Thanks so much, Tina. I can't uh, recommend your, your work enough. It's just, it's fantastic. And you're, you're in a very unique field, which is that you are uh, one of the few people that are, that, that you've really adopted this perception of children as uh, not having a disorder, but having that they're unique, seeing them as unique whole individuals. Uh, and encouraging and teaching and giving and mentoring parents to, to how they can bring their kids up in a way that's going to really encourage them to have uh, self-esteem and strength and understand who they are and what they're doing. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show again and sharing your wisdom with us. Again, it's guidingbright.com. And uh, just want to wrap up here. Uh, just as a reminder, we're a small press uh, help us spread the word. Reviews are really helpful. Uh, you can share us on sh social media. You can engage us on Facebook. If you go to our drummer, drummerandthegreatmountain.com, you'll see some icons at the upper right. You can click on go to our Facebook page. Uh, if you like what we're doing, um, please leave a review on iTunes or Goodreads. You can find us there. Um, 
some ideas on getting the word out. If you are connected uh, as a social worker or a progressive psychologist or someone you know, please share the, share the podcast with them, share the book with them. I uh, also want to encourage you to go back and listen to some of our um, first podcasts. If you're new to this podcast, we go through the book chapter, chapter by chapter, uh, talking about it, discussing the different points. So if you're more of an audio person, oral, you can listen to stuff and it take, you take it in better. Go back and listen to those and then have the book as a way of going through and, and tracking it. Uh, you can get the book at drummerandthegreatmountain.com. And thank you all for joining us. See you next time.